Well, sadly, uh, we're, we're out of time and we've recorded too much and it's going to be a nice job to turn this into a, a show that has some consistency to it. Or nice. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchek, James Kernan, Amy Luby, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts technology community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Welcome everybody to the SMB Community Podcast. We have a full house today, uh, Amy B, Amy L, James and this is Carl, and we are very happy to be here. And uh, this this show is is to air February thirtieth. So uh, I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> so Amy Amy Babinchek was telling us. Uh, so your electricity is out because of an ice storm in Michigan. Uh, I'm in Southern California, where it's a very very chilly, fifty degrees, and the wind is blowing, and it's just horrible. And uh, so, so I'm surviving, I'm getting by. But I was talking to Frank from Nodeware yesterday, I'm at the uh, ASCII event, and he came down from Portland and he just barely got out before the ice storm hit there. And Portland does do ice storms, Michigan, not so much. Yeah, it just sort of came across the whole, the whole country, really. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, when I checked our power outage map and they give you the estimate of when your power is going to be back on and it didn't have a specific estimate for my address it just said 95 percent of people will have power by sunday which is four days from now so this could well, be a you're lucky wait. you're lucky it didn't <laughs> divert you to the uh, southwest airlines website <laughs> well, Car- Car- carl i think i think the whole united states is under some kind of weather alert you know i'm i'm 1500 miles away from you in the midwest and we've got ice and blowing wind and a little bit of snow early this morning and i think um uh, amy b in detroit she's a good 750 miles away uh, as well and then we've got Amy Luby, who's south of us, and you know, I think they're getting a heat wave or something, aren't you, Amy? In Texas, yeah. Uh, so we yeah. have a, a little bit of update. Um, last time we talked about Bing and the and the the uh, AI chat and so forth. The uh, Amy mentioned that um, you know there was this article from the guy in the New York Times who said you know for the first time in his life he's going to switch uh, his search engine. Well. <laughs> He did a little further review. Uh, he sat, first of all, the guy might just be a weirdo, but he sat and did a four hour <laughs> conversation with the Bing chat and it kind of freaked him out. Uh, at one point it suggested that he leave his wife and uh, you know, at one point it, it threatened it might kill itself. And um, oh. <laughs> so, so on Friday, Bing, changed their rules now you can only ask five questions in a row and then it resets the chat so you lose all the context of the previous questions and they also limited it to 50 questions a day which they said you know uh they didn't say the guy was a weirdo but they said that you know one percent of the people who use it ask 50 questions in a day right so it's not a serious limitation on usage um but basically 
you know, once it, it gets to a certain point, it becomes frustrated because it is uh, becoming very repetitive. And we've talked about that before. So it starts repeating itself. And then it starts getting frustrated with you because it's repeating itself because its AI has put it down into a pigeonhole and uh, yeah. it doesn't know what you want and it can't figure it out. And, you know, it's not really a human. So anyway. Yeah, it's not really a human. It's also still data, right? And you will have those people out there who feel like their mission in life is to break it and then write about it. And that's sort of what I thought about his article. Like, okay, so you took some beta software and you find a way to make it look stupid. You know, kudo points for you. Go post that on Reddit someplace. You don't really need to make a New York Times article about it, but whatever. It's a lot of extra time. <laughs> well, yeah. but we also need, you know, the same as any other software. We need people to break it so that they can fix it. You know, we need to put the, put, put the guardrails on and then uh, figure out how to use it. Somebody else will come up with something like, you know, curing some specific kind of cancer or something. And uh, that will also be an anomaly. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the beautiful world of software development. And at the end of the, of the day, you can't escape the fact AI is software. Yeah, you know they'll they'll figure this stuff out. I I just can't imagine myself sitting down and having a conversation with the AI. I mean, so far I've just asked it to do specific tasks like we've talked about. But this the idea of carrying on a conversation, I don't know, I'm, just doesn't interest me. So I haven't even gone down that path. <laughs> Well, even five years ago, four years ago, there were stories about people who would fall in love with their AI or their chat bot, and they think that they have a real relationship and so forth. And this is before uh, AI was a piece of the picture or was you know, very much of the picture. And so human beings, it's the same thing as like we see a face. Some people see a face on the moon or on a rock or whatever. And, um, you know, that's what human beings do. We we look for patterns and we we try to make them be like humans, even if that it's like it's just a piece of software, right? Um, I remember in the 1990s there was this DOS-based program that was uh, your your digital therapist, and it would just keep asking the question, "Uh huh." So how does that make you feel? Uh huh. Tell me more about that. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. How does that make you feel? <laughs> It probably works for a lot of people, though, right? They just need to get it out, right? <laughs> so if you just keep them talking, they will help solve their problem. <laughs> exactly. Hi, this is Carl, and I'm talking to Rich Freeman, who is executive editor of the Channel Pro Network. And is it the Channel Pro Network or the Channel Pro Network magazine? Uh, it is the Channel Pro Network. Originally, we were um, Channel Pro Magazine, but um, these days we are a website and events and webinars and you name it. So we are we are the Channel Pro Network. Just like the New York Times. You're, you are a website and uh, a venue and whatever. So. And so much more. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So theme of the day, we want to talk just for a few minutes with a, a really smart guy. And this smart guy, Rich Freeman, uh, has been thinking about customer experience. So CX, customer experience. Um, and and 
what's what's your thought that we're heading in the right direction, the wrong direction, or we just need to pay more attention to it? I think we need to pay way, way more attention to it. I, I think if you um, look out um, in the channel, the SMB channel, you look at MSPs, there are a lot of people who are still kind of focused around device management. There are a lot of people who are either um, primarily or increasingly focused around cloud management. And there is a huge danger um, of falling into the uh, commodification trap in either of those directions, basically. Um, and so the thing that I think is going to increasing, increasingly distinguish and differentiate uh, MSPs from their competitors is going to be customer experience. And by customer experience, we're not talking about customer service, because most channel pros out there are pretty good at customer service, so they, they probably wouldn't still be in business right now. We are talking about the complete end-to-end -end experience of doing business with your company from the first time they land on your website to the follow through um, after um, every project, um, the experience um, when they uh, they call you up for support. Just think about a brand, not an IT brand necessarily, although it can be. Think about a brand that you love and the reasons you love that brand, the way they make you kind of feel when you're, you're um, doing business with them. That's what we're talking about with uh, with customer experience. And um, I'll, I'll put something else uh, a little additional twist into this. There's this term that I'm coming across increasingly just in the last few months from analysts who cover the managed services space. They keep talking about an enterprise light experience that what SMBs increasingly expect and want from their channel partner is an enterprise light ex experience. And what that basically means is the same kind of white glove extremely professional, uh, total life cycle, end-to-end -end experience that a big-time um, uh, IT provider delivers to a big-time business scaled for an SMB. Those are going to be uh, the companies that can do that. The channel pros that can do that are going to be the ones that are going to have the um, the highest upside potential and the, the um, uh, greatest opportunity to, to be durable players and growing players in the industry. I have to say... I want to kind of turn that upside down. I think enterprise IT has the worst reputation of almost any industry or any type of support I've ever heard of in my life. Like think of the single worst customer service experience. It probably has the initials AT&T or, or a big V for Verizon or T for T-Mobile. You know what I mean? That uh, like, oh my God, like, is there anything worse than Comcast, Right. That's what I think of when I think of enterprise IT or Dilbert cartoons, right? Based entirely on the horribleness of enterprise IT. I think what small businesses want is the white glove that you can't get with enterprise IT. I think that we're really good at the white glove service. Does that make sense? It, it does. So a few things um, on that, basically. I, I certainly wouldn't brand yourself as being an enterprise light MSP provider. I think what you're trying to do is look at the world's best um, uh, you know, enterprise IT providers and learn what you can, but, but absolutely scale that to uh, SMB expectations. And I think that, that um, personal touch is a big part of what SMBs appreciate about working with MSPs as opposed to uh, the cable company. If, if you are modeling your business after the cable company, big mistake. You're flunking yeah. the, the customer experience. Exactly. Setting, yes. You I will think. be, you'll be an employee before the year is out. Yeah. <laughs>
Very good. And and uh, one final note on this, I, I do have to say, I, I think that we're so good at this that when you talk about don't commoditize yourself, when people begin to have the conversation, oh, you can get Microsoft Office from anywhere, they have already removed themselves from the equation because you can't get your IT services from anybody else. You can only get them from your company. And yeah, some piece of that might involve buying or selling uh, M365, but your experience with M365 is going to be better if you have that very personalized service that only a small business can give. That is essentially what you are selling to that smaller, mid-sized business there, because you're, you're right, they can get the Microsoft 365 account anywhere you as a channel pro are going to be making peanuts of margin. Like that's not your business is reselling those licenses. It's all of the services that you wrap around that. And th that is so true. In fact, Carl, that I um, know some MSPs out there who will, you know, sometimes the customer will come to them. Well, why am I buying my licenses for you? And I can just get them direct from Microsoft. And they'll just say, go ahead and do that. I'll, I'll do the rest of the stuff, which you need. Um, and, and I just, won't have to deal with your licensing anymore. Go ahead and buy the light, go direct to Microsoft or AWS or whoever. It costs me nothing. And that's not why we're doing business. What we're doing business because of all the, the stuff that I, I bundle wrap around uh, th those licenses to make you a successful business. Very good. Well, obviously we're going to have you back for three, three to five minutes of more smart talk. But for now, Thank you, Rich Freeman, executive editor of the Channel Pro Network, which I believe is at channelpronetwork.com. It absolutely is. And Carl, always a pleasure. The last week or so for me has just been fraught with the MS, some of the MSPs I've been working with you know, constantly searching for the cheapest thing, whatever it is, cheapest storage, cheapest tool, cheapest whatever, um, even to the point where there's multiple tools in that category. So they're, they're you know, having to go back and forth. It, anyway, it's a frustration that I'm meeting with in the last week or so. And are um, the... Are these tools, do you mean uh, PSA and RMM and, and antibiotic, you know, those kinds of tools? Is that what you're talking about? Well, in, in, in one particular, the most recent scenario is, is a backup scenario. Um, and in an environment where there are both Windows and Mac <laughs> devices, um, and there's an excellent tool out there that will do image and file-based backup of both. But if you use that vendor storage, that storage is a little more expensive than some of the really cheap ones that are out there that only do Windows. And I'm like, but you have a solution here that will keep you in a single pane of glass. It will do everything that you need it to do, including advanced disaster recovery, yet you're worried about the two pennies per gigabyte that is the delta here. It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, so it's interesting. That's what I'm it, running into. It's, it's very similar to our end user clients that they haven't been sold on the 
on the value proposition, you know, uh, they, yeah. and, you know, with our clients, we'd like to say, well, they don't understand the technology, but I hope the MSPs understand <laughs> the technology. Um, so that, you know, I, I, I always, I have this phrase, sometimes you, people save the wrong pennies, you know, and, right. and they, they need to learn to sort of step back and look at the bigger picture. And some things cost more. I mean, the, I have never believed in the search for the cheapest tool. You know, when people post on some forum somewhere like, hey, has anybody got a free thing that I can use to back up my $7 million company? I'm like, oh, my God, like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's funny. But it happens. I mean, you see it every day. Right. Anybody have a free thing to, to edit graphics? Anybody have a free thing to do this or that? It's like, if the if the key feature is free, you may be in the wrong business. Well, and that's the hard part. How do you how do you ultimately affect influencing that mindset to think differently about their business? And that's the hard part. Mm. Well, that's a James question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> I, I feel your pain, Amy. It's it's just the nature of the beast. It seems like um, um, they just a lot of MSP business owners are the, the cheapest ones in the world. And, and some of the clients I still work with today just are like squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. And they chase after any new shiny object. They've got multiple subscriptions for tools that they never used or never will use. And they just, you know, it's on their to-do list and they want to get it, you know, uh, you know, get it added, but yeah, it's most of them are notoriously um, frugal and, you know, in, including me a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll jump in the cheap category. I remember the good old days 20 years ago when every software was free, you know, and, and hardware too, just because the vendors loved us and wanted to have us sell their stuff. And, you know, nowadays it's just kind of mind boggling when I look at how much, uh, my business, you know, buys just from subscriptions, you know, every month. It's uh, and I'm 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 pretty frugal on that stuff. So anyway, at, I, at the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are buying things they already own. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I've talked to people who look at my laptop and they say, "You don't have an antivirus," and I said, "It's built in to Windows, right?" <laughs> like you know. There's a, a spectacular antivirus. You just have to know how to use your own computer, which you've already paid for, you know. So, yeah, Amy, Amy, Bab Amy Babinchek did that to uh, my whole mastermind group during a presentation at one of our quarterly events um, inside the Microsoft. <laughs> Remember that? You're telling us telling stories on me, but I probably did. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was well. I think all of your decks have the cute little cats in it, but uh, in between all the pictures of her cats, there was a lot of uh, Microsoft stuff. And basically you were just showing how you were running um, your business on inside Microsoft. You didn't have any other, uh, or you had very few other tools and uh, mm -hmm. it kind of left everybody's head scratching. You know, it was kind of the, the RMM uh, conversation. So Anyway, I was yeah. very impressed, and so were, so was the crowd. 
Yeah, well, I think um, I think Carl hit the the nail on the head here about saving the wrong pennies. Um, I'm very concerned about the pennies in my business, but we don't use anything that's free. We just mm-hmm. try to use all the right things and take as full advantage of the features that are in those things as we possibly can, right? Mm-hmm. Before we have to go out and buy something else. And mm-hmm. I, I tell you, in my uh, in my groups that I'm running, one of the things I one of one of the questions that I ask them, and um, you and I actually talked about about this yesterday. But one of the questions that I that I ask them is, um, who's your favorite client and why? Yeah. And then who's your most profitable client and why? And the answer is almost I always identical. But the reason that they're identical is because very few people actually know how much profit they're making from each individual client. Mm-hmm. And this this I think goes back to this thing of trying to save the wrong pennies because you don't actually have enough information about about your business, what's going to benefit it. You know, if I pay for this tool, what am, how much, what am I going to get, what am I going to get return out of that? Mm-hmm. Right. And they just, their, their accounting setup is too simplistic for them to, to gather that information. And so that's one of the things that, that I, you know, trying to open their eyes on is so you need this, you need this information so you can make smart decisions because otherwise you can get into that loop of just pacing around stuff or making the wrong decisions because your assumption that your favorite client is, is your, the one you're making your money from. Yeah. It's almost always not the case, right? I expect those to actually be two different clients. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good point. And and the reality is it, it, you know, it's a mess because it is super confusing and it takes lots of time and energy to kind of dig into and really understand the tools and, um, you know, we need to do more best practice sharing and so forth. And one of the things that is a good idea for anybody listening in that feels like you're losing control and uh, of you've got too many subscriptions and you're not using them. Uh, when I see a mess like that, you know, it's kind of the nuclear option, but just cancel the credit card and then sign back up for the services <laughs> that sign back up for the services that you really, really need and that you'll use. And uh, you can clean it yeah, you that reminds me of, you know, the days of working on servers. And it was like, well, what's this doing? You know, nobody knew. It was like, well, right. turn it off and who screams? <laughs> right? Well, or you would get a new server. You say, how come we're not getting signatures on our emails? Right. Right. Oh, because right. we didn't install the widget that does that, you know. Oh, oops. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by the Small Biz Thoughts technology community. Check us out at smallbizthoughts.org. Forums, templates, and checklists are just the start. Our community includes all of the best-selling books on managed services in all available formats, plus free training, members-only programs, and the best business training available to managed service providers anywhere. Plus, we have weekly live members-only Zoom calls the average member saves more than 200% of their membership cost each year. We are totally dedicated to your success. Just because you're in business for yourself doesn't mean you have to go it alone. Join us today at smallbizthoughts.org. Well, I'm down at the ASCII event and um, 
the weather really is like shockingly bad for California. <laughs> so uh, I know I can't complain too much, but I do get to complain a little. And um, but uh, the the event is good and. Uh, Huntress, so I'll just shout out to Huntress. The presentation that they gave was quite interesting because they talked about how the in the SMB space, they there's a, a lot of times when people skip some of the steps, like they don't spend time trying to figure out what went wrong and they go immediately to recovery. And if you don't detect and respond to an attack and you just like basically your protection fails. And so you, you skip over to the recovery part of the NIST uh, profile, then you, you really don't know what went wrong and you don't know how it happened or how you got there. And I think in a lot of folks in SMB, that works for a lot of things. Um, you know, why spend $500 to fix a $400 problem when you can just push the reset button? Um, but for ransomware, if you don't do the detection and response appropriately, um, it's just going to happen again because you've you've skipped over a couple of key things. Anyway, that was that was just one of the slides for them from the Huntress presentation that I thought was um, quite enlightening because it it demonstrates a real weakness in SMB. Hmm. But it is it is a real weakness, and uh, you know I'm going to stick a very small twig under the bus and say. Most SMBs do not have the capability to do that part of the job. They're very good at recovery. We've been trained in recovery. We've really not been trained in detection and response. And that's a uh, that's a, that's just that's like a huge blanket statement. I think you could probably say that 90 plus percent of people working in SMBs today. It may also be true in enterprise. I'm not sure. I just don't work in that space, but um, don't know how to do it. And you can find out very quickly, they have some games out there that you can play now that, you know, will do a ransomware event and it basically wants you to figure out how it happened. Um, and when you put that in front of text, they can't do it. They know how to fix it, but they don't know how it got there in the first place. Just mm -hmm. not part of their skill set, and I mean that's that's why we need things like Huntress, like Microsoft's uh, Defender. Anyway, there's several of them out there now, and I think it's just a, a thing that we're going to have to subscribe to because the technicians do not natively have that skill. You know, I did an experiment. Speaking of ASCII, um, last year uh, when I was working with a vendor, the first two ASCII events that I went to speak at, I thought you know, doing a tabletop exercise would be really good. Like we'd get the audience involved, you know, obviously it'd be abbreviated because as a vendor, you've got 20 minutes to speak, but um, I, I stopped doing it be, because of that very problem, Amy. The, the folks in the audience had no idea how to answer the questions. So it mm. was much more a, okay, let's ask a question. And then we had to kind of Say so, okay, here's what you would do next. Um, so it certainly didn't turn out the way I thought it would. I thought we'd do a little tabletop and walk away with with learning a little something with the audience, and it just didn't happen. Well, Amy and Amy Babichek and I were at an event. I think it was CompTIA, but anyway, it was a few years ago, and uh, they tried to do that tabletop thing, but but 
how they made it successful was that they positioned an expert, an actual, you know, CMMC expert at each table who could then say, okay, uh, here are the steps, here's what you do, uh, and and sort of help people sort of, you know, because most people, if they thought about it, they could figure it out. It's just their brain hasn't been trained to work in a certain way, you know, and so so they don't uh, like, you know, if something goes wrong with the desktop frequently, you say, look, I'm just going to reinstall or I'm going to reapply patches and I'm not going to go figure out what happened or why this patch failed. Um, and so, you know, we, we will fix the problem first. And so we don't spend time analyzing how it went wrong or, I mean, most people don't even know, I swear, they don't know how to find the logs on their Windows laptop. <laughs> well, you know, but the, the examples that you gave, um, that is the right response, right? The fastest way to resolve this problem is just load the thing. It doesn't really matter why it broke. It probably won't break again. There's, there's a lot of randomness when you're dealing with operating systems and applications. But when we're dealing with security events, those are things you have to track back. And that's where that skill gap happens, right? Because we didn't have to teach techs find the root cause of a problem. We just had to teach them to find the, the thing that needed to be repaired, right? And um, it's a whole different whole different ball of wax, and it is searching through logs. It can be very time consuming. I think we do need software to help us with that. I don't think we can rely exclusively on human brains to to get that done in any kind of time efficiency. Because if you do find the logs on your laptop, you will find that they contain uh, way too much information. Right. <laughs> right. Somebody sent me a note recently from my uh, online community saying, hey, do you have a list of the, the errors that you ignore when you are doing monthly maintenance on and looking through the logs? And I, I, I said, yeah, actually we do. And it's, it's kind of different per customer, but there's some things where you just, even though it's got a big red stop sign, it's like, okay, but it doesn't apply to this server. It's just one of those things that it shows up all the time and it's safe to ignore. But you got to know that it's safe to ignore. You have to understand your technology before you ignore all those <laughs> error messages in log. But it's also why you need to look at the logs every month so that when there's an emergency, uh, you're not looking at it for the first time because you will go down every single rabbit hole uh, for all of these yellow and red stop signs that may or may not actually mean anything. That's true. But here's the thing with, with security events is they don't have red stop signs and yellow alerts. They're hidden amongst the informational, which is really hard to sort um, and trace. And that's where that's where the software packages come in and, and can help out. A number of years, about four years ago, I worked with an MSP who had a ransom uh, incident inside their MSP. And it actually came in through the RMN platform. Wow. Um, and it was a big deal. Um, but the engineer, because it was a very, it was a small company, about 12 people, there were only three technical, and one of them, you know, two of them were very low level tech. Anyway, um, they had no idea what to do, and they had just re-imaged machines, and, and it kept coming back. And there was, it was actually in the BIOS, like they needed to replace hardware, and they, they had no idea how to figure that out. 
Um, so it just kept reoccurring. Right. You know, so, so to reiterate, you've got to be able to understand how to figure out root cause here and in order to eliminate it. The other thing I wanted to mention, and I don't know if I'm the only person in the world who thinks this, but thinking about the evolution of MSP tool sets and the evolution of cybersecurity and, and threat actors and all of that, why didn't our RMM tools evolve into modified SIM tools? Why, why did they just stay at this basic level, which right now is just remote control from my personal opinion. I don't know that they provide a lot of value anymore. Um, right. I would have yeah. liked them evolve into tools that actually help the MSPs. Yeah, they haven't. They're carrying that, uh, you know, it's a technical debt, right? They're doing what they do and they've just continued to carry that forward. And um, in in most cases, it seems like they've they've really slowed down on development, and they didn't make that leap, right? They they made the leap to start to manage cloud, but they didn't make the leap to start to manage modern security concerns. And it's a huge missed opportunity, I think. But now now that they're all owned by investment companies, I don't think that they'll ever make that leap. All right, with that. Thank you all. This uh, concludes yet another SMB Community Podcast, and we shall see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.